listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today it's a story time with Sarah episode. Oh, I love these. Tell me story. This is a bit of a combination of favorite things because these story time episodes mean that I get to dig into somebody's life, which is super fun because I like being nerdy. And it's about a hymn translator. Which means we get to pull out our hymnals, World which is super wide. exciting. <laughs> uh, it's pretty great. We are talking about Catherine Winkworth today, which hopefully is a familiar name. She's all over our Lutheran hymnals for very good reason. And so we get to dedicate this entire episode to her life, which she led a pretty interesting life, I have to say. I am so, so excited about this because she is like the, the female name that shows up in... Uh, the hymnal about the only one i mean Car- carolina sandberg wrote uh, children of the of the heavenly father and there are a couple yeah. other hymns but Catherine winkworth is all over it and yes. yet i know very little about her so uh-huh. i'm very keen to learn more yeah, yeah she's in pretty much every english language hymnal in some capacity some with a large majority of of hymns, which is super cool. So, and she has a really other cool side of her life that has nothing to do with hymnals as well. But I will get to that later in like an hour. Anyway. Buckle uh, <laughs> up, ladies. Uh, We're here for a bit. <laughs> get your coffee. Get your comfy chairs. Uh, so if you've looked in the small print in your hymnal, you probably have seen her name. She shows up everywhere. She's one of the most prolific hymn, hymn translators Probably of all time, uh, with translation numbers in the hundreds. So she was cranking out translations. And we owe a lot of our German translated to English hymns to her, which is awesome. So Catherine was born on September 13th, 1827 at 20 Ellie Place, Holborn, on the edge of the city of London, England, which if you listen to other hymn episodes, there's a whole lot of hymnody stuff that happens in London. I don't know why. Maybe just hub of everything. Anyway. Do you mean she's not German? I don't she know is why, but I thought German. she was German. Nope. She is definitely British. Huh. Okay. Well. <laughs> Myth <Again>. busted. <laughs> <laughs> Myth busted. <laughs> she's the fourth daughter of Henry Winkworth. Not Henry Winkler, who is who I thought of when I read Henry Winkworth. Hey, I googled that to see who I was thinking of because I was like, I know that name. Anyway, not Henry Winkler. Henry Winkworth. Uh, he was a silk manufacturer, and his father was Reverend William Winkworth, who was a robust evangelical preacher, and Susanna Dickinson Winkworth, her mother. Uh, was a farmer's daughter from Kent. So her parents were both Anglican of the evangelical persuasion. So she grew up in a house that loved hymns and hymn singing, which did her very well (laughs) in the rest of her life. The Church of England historically sang metrical psalms, but the evangelical revival around this time of the late 18th century brought about a great love for singing hymns. So her grandfather's friends were significant hymn writers themselves. And so she understood from a very early age the importance of hymnody and hymn singing in the life of a Christian. So all of this young uh, childhood around Catherine Winkworth, uh, she she was surrounded by this hymn singing and this just this tradition of church music. And so this uh, this probably influenced her in, in the next 20 years, 20, 30 years of her life. 
So in 1829, her family moved to Manchester, where her father had a silk mill. She was a precocious child. She was talking by the time she was 18 months before she had teeth. Uh, and she learned to read shortly after she turned three. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I just taught a kindergartner. I cannot imagine. <laughs> her mother was her first teacher, and her parents took education and Christian education very, very seriously. So she was also a sickly child. She had chronic health issues throughout her entire life. And so she never attended formal school, but she was tutored privately in her house by Unitarian ministers, Reverend William Gaskell, minister of Cross Street Chapel, and later husband of poet and novelist Elizabeth Gaskell. And Ooh. the right also a tie into British literature. Uh, and the Reverend Dr. James Martineau, brother of Harriet Martineau, a fervent abolitionist and writer. So she had very interesting people around her when she was young, and I, I'm sure that influenced her as she, well, later in life, as you'll see. So the Gaskells were friends with many writers of the time, including Charles Dickens. Catherine credited Reverend Gaskell for her love of English literature. When she was 12, she would teach local Sunday school and discovered that she had an innate ability to teach and tell stories. So in 1841, when Catherine was 14, her mother died. And she became even closer to her father. She was very close to her father throughout all of her life. He remarried in 1845. And she was unsure about how she felt about that. She felt like her <laughs> stepmother got in between her and her dad, which probably is a pretty natural she did. feeling. Exactly. <laughs> so that same year, 1845... Catherine and her sister Selena were sent to Dresden, Germany to stay with an aunt and act as governess to her cousins for a year. So this is her introduction to Germany, German culture, German language. So she began to study German language at this point and German hymnody. She discovered that she, as well as her sister Susanna, were very gifted translators she had become unsure about her own thoughts and beliefs, however. This became kind of a tumultuous time in her life because of her relationship with her dad and her stepmother and going to Germany and learning a new culture and a new language and, and being away from home for the first time for a full year. So this is kind of a weird, a weird time in her life. So back in England the next year, in 1846, the Reverend James Martineau uh, became her tutor, and he kind of helped her figure out uh, where what her what her beliefs were, uh, figure out the the chaos of her mind. She did not adopt his Unitarian beliefs, however. So during during the early part of her life, uh, Catherine's religious views were more of a liberal Anglicanism, and she eventually moved to a more conservative view of the Christian faith. She remained in the Church of England for the rest of her life. But she was critical of both the high church doctrine of the sacraments, which she couldn't distinguish from the Roman Catholics, but she was also critical of the low view of scripture held by the Unitarians and also the rationalism in her friend and mentor, uh, Christian Charles Josias von Bunsen. So von Bunsen is a... Uh, pretty important character in her life uh, as well as other hymn translators uh, of the time period. So von Bunsen was a Prussian ambassador 
to the Vatican and eventually to England. And he wanted the territorial churches in Germany to be united. So he published Versuch eines allgemeinen evangelischen Gesang und Gebetsbuch. That's a long title. Which is an attempt at a common evangelical hymnal and prayer book. I love the titles of books from this time. They're so literal. It's fantastic. Uh, so he was hoping that this would be a standard German hymnal, which didn't happen. However, it was widely circulated, uh, and that book played an important role in the movement for hymn book reform in Germany. It was really influential on English hymn translators of the time period as well. So Catherine was introduced to von Bunsen by Mrs. Gaskell, the wife of one of her tutors. So this is a side note that comes up. A lot of times when we talk about Catherine's translations and her translations in our Lutheran context, uh, we often criticize her for leaving out a lot of the sacramental stanzas of hymns. But I learned from Dr. John Beaker, who did his dissertation on hymnody and is a wealth of knowledge on anything. If you, if you want to know anything about hymns, send him an email or Facebook or something because he knows everything. So I learned from him that the German texts that she was translating were already corrupted at that time from the Enlightenment and Reformed influences on the texts. So during this time that she was doing translation work, the Germans were recovering the original texts from the 16th and 17th centuries and putting them back into their German hymnals. But Catherine wasn't using those texts. She was using the ones that were desacramentalized from the Enlightenment. So, oh, so we can't leave them out. We can't totally blame her for all of that. Okay. Uh, we can actually blame the people that made the German texts that she was that she was translating from. Not all of it. There are still some that were probably her fault, but not all of it. There's there's quite a bit of it that isn't actually her fault. Right. Okay. She did the best she could, poor girl, right. with what she, it's true. what she had. Yeah. It's and true. So we we can probably go a little a little easier on her in our in our Lutheran circles. Okay. I will. <laughs> I was going to anyway, so I'm happy that I can keep doing that. <laughs> So von Bunsen, he was quite influential to Catherine and a lot of other hymn writers and hymn translators. In 1849, he encouraged her to begin translating the best German hymns into metrical English. And all of that culminated in 1855 when she published Lyra Germanica, Hymns for the Sundays and Chief Festivals of the Christian Year. So that was a book of German hymns translated to English, and it was a huge success with more than 20 editions published. Super wide circulation. She dedicated this book to von Bunsen and probably used his German hymn book as the foundation for the texts that she translated. Hmm. So a lot of our hymns actually come out of uh, this book and the, the next couple that, that she did, which is really cool. So she followed that initial success with another collection, Lyra Germanica's second series, The Christian Life, in 1858. So around this time, Catherine was dealing with health issues, and her father was having business trouble with his silk manufacturing business. So in 1862, her family moved to Clifton, which is near Bristol, because her father's silk manufacturing business had failed. So Bristol is in the south of England, in case you don't know your British geography, which I did have to Google. Oops. Uh, 
At this point, uh, she was debating religious beliefs with her tutor, Martineau, and her friend, Von Bunsen, uh, criticizing their high church and Roman Catholic beliefs. So she was returning to her evangelical beliefs of her youth, even though um, she probably wouldn't have admitted that. She was mostly concerned about having an honest biblical approach because she considered the Bible a devotional book and not a place to find proof texts for every theological controversy. She did not appreciate anyone or anything that put the authority of the church above the scriptures. So that also played into her translating and uh, the, the theology that, that she pulled in and, and the, um, how she managed to, to put the texts together. So because of the demand for her hymn translations, she published the Chorale Book for England in 1863. And this one was different because it had the English texts next to the original German chorales with their meters. And it had 202 translations, which is a lot. It had a rival in the ever popular Hymns Ancient and Modern, which was the Anglican hymn book published in 1861. And even though Catherine's chorale book for England was published again in 1865 with even more English hymns, it just couldn't keep up. Uh, ancient or Hymns, ancient and modern, became the standard for the current hymnal in the Church of England. Also in 1863, and this is where things get super interesting, <laughs> Catherine published a German biography, Life of Amelie Sieveking. Now, Amelie was an interesting character in Catherine's life. She pioneered the emancipation of women in German society by encouraging them to spend their time in Christian charity and social work. And it's more than likely that Catherine's introduction to Amelie's ideas shaped her own about women's work and education. Catherine had become more and more interested in the place of women in society. And if you think about that, late 1800s into early 1900s, there is a lot of that going on in England and in, in the Americas too. With, Mary Poppins. Yes. Yeah. So yes. a lot of, a lot of that, that thinking and, and uh, culture and society were starting to move in that women's uh, what the role of women is in society. Uh -huh. A lot of different reasons for that, that we won't get into here, but that was kind of a thing, a thing among, among yeah. women at that point. So a few years later in 1867, she published a translation of a biography about Pastor Theodore Fliedner. He was also a pioneer of women's rights and the founder of the Deaconess Order at Kaiserwerth. Both of these people greatly influenced her views on the role of women. So in 1868, she joined the Committee on Higher Education for Women and became its secretary in 1870. During this time, she was organizing lectures and classes to help women prepare for Cambridge University examinations. She helped found Bristol University College, which later became Bristol College, and she acted as the Cheltenham Ladies College Council member. She was a governor for Red Maid School in Bristol, which still exists. I looked it up. It's a really wow. cool place. Uh, and also supported the creation of Clifton High School for Girls which also exists. I looked that one up too, <laughs> uh, where a schoolhouse is named after her. So she had a huge influence on women's education in Britain in the late, what, 1860s, early 1870s, which I would never have guessed. <laughs> um, her father was quite supportive of her through all of this, which 
good for you, dad. That is that is a really cool thing that her oh, dad God. at this time period uh, was supportive of his daughter doing all of this, uh, all of this for women's education. So it was a huge shock to her when he died in 1869. She mm. had just published Christian Singers of Germany, which was a history of German hymnody and hymn writers uh, prior to his death. So she was able to take some time to mourn him. So over the next several years, uh, she suffered from chronic health issues for a lot of that. She traveled quite extensively to France and Germany. She and her sister, Susanna, who was a prolific translator in her own right with a bunch of other stuff that I didn't have time to research. But if you're interested in all of this, Susanna Winkworth also has lots of stuff out there. She and her sister, Susanna, served as delegates to the German Conference on Women's Work in 1872 in Darmstadt. Hmm. Also pretty cool. She traveled again in 1878 to nurse a sick nephew in Monetier, Switzerland. But unfortunately, that's where her story ends. She died suddenly of a heart attack at age 50. She was super Aww. young. Super young. On July 1st, 1878. And she is actually buried there in a cemetery for Protestants. Huh. Which also gives you a bit of an idea of what the religious... Culture society was like in the late 1870s in France, Switzerland area that there's a cemetery for Protestants. But anyway, so both she and her sister never married. There's two scholarships for women uh, were created in her memory at Bristol University, and there's a memorial for her in the Bristol Cathedral, which says, I will read you what the memorial says so you don't have to go to Bristol to go read it yourself. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> this is from, uh, and this is from the book by Robin Lever, who, if you're interested in Catherine Winkworth's life, it's out of print, but maybe a friend has it. Catherine Winkworth, the influence of her translations on English hymnody by Robin A. Lever. Fantastic book. Everything that you could ever want to know about Catherine Winkworth is in this book. So this says, in memory of Catherine Winkworth, who in her Lyra Germanica rendering into English verse the treasures of German sacred poetry opened a new source of light, consolation, and strength in many thousand homes. Her works reveal a clear and harmonious intellect, a gift of true poetry, insight, and expression, and the firm Christian faith, which was the mainspring of a life rich in tender and affectionate ministration and fruitful in various fields of active service. Her loss is mourned by all who shared her labor and by the many friends whom death has bereft of her rare sympathy, her wise counsel, her bright companionship, and her unfailing help in every time of need. To commemorate her work and to perpetuate her efforts for the better education of women, a scholarship bearing her name has been founded in University College Bristol by friends who now dedicate this tablet. To her memory. Born in London, September 13, 1827, died in Montier Savoy, July 1st, 1878. <laughs> So that is her monument in Bristol, which kind of gives a little glimpse into her life. She's been described as an early feminist in Cambridge University Press article from 1999, which also gives a little glimpse into, into what people think of her after the fact as well. So after her and her sister Susanna's deaths, their biographies were put together and published in 1908 by her niece, Margaret Shane. Memorials of Two Sisters, Susanna and Catherine Winkworth. So before this, Susanna had actually gathered all of Catherine's letters 
and issued a private biography on Catherine for strictly family business, but that also became part of this document that her niece wrote. (laughs) (laughs) So she is commemorated with John Mason Neal on the liturgical calendar of the Episcopal Church on August 7th and on the calendar of saints in the Lutheran Church on July 1st. So in total... Catherine translated nearly 400 hymns by over 170 German authors. That is a lot of hymns. A super long list. That is. You would think that the, you know, quantity would make the quality go down, but really it doesn't. I mean, she, I don't think you would love German Lutheran hymns as much as you do, as much as I do, had she not done such a whiz-bang job of turning them into beautiful English poetry mm-hmm. um, yeah. while being as faithful as she could to the text that she was given. I'm just blown away by that. Yeah. and Cause a lot of her, the hymns that she, she translated were Gerhardt hymns and everyone knows how much I love Gerhardt hymns, which means you I actually love really love him. her translations of Gerhardt. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's how it I'm, works. <laughs> I'm just, I'm always so poetry is amazing people who can write poetry that's amazing i feel like translation is like another whole art but especially translation of poetry to be able to capture the the spirit of the original and make it actual poetry well (laughs) not just poetry we're talking metered rhymed poetry Theological metered rhymed poetry. Yeah, it's hard enough to do free verse faithfully, but to do the kind of of poems she was working with, she's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. One wrong word and you're spouting heresy. So, right. right. (laughs) I mean, you have to know the language, you have to know the theology, you have to know English, You, you need to know sort of what are the symbols and the cultural idioms and because you have to you have to love language you have to be a good poet yourself and you have to have a huge amount of respect for the original author and for their you know their perspective and to make sure that that is embodied in in the final translation it's just a huge job such a great this just i don't know if it's your hymn nerdery rubbing off on me but like <laughs> within the last year, coincidence, I think not, like have established a so a much deeper appreciation for like hymnody and like the history of hymnology and such. Like, man, now I'm gonna i I'm probably gonna see your name in the hymnal all the time now. I'm Everywhere. always gonna be in the forefront and, and it's just like Like, dang, she had some skills. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was incredibly, incredibly talented. And you guys are totally right. Uh, I had a whole paragraph saying what you guys just said. So I don't have to, you know, read that paragraph anymore (laughs) because that was just said it. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But there's also something to think about that now in our own LCMS um, and other churches and other English speaking churches, I'm sure, we are now translating our native English hymns into other languages uh, so that other Lutheran churches can put together their own hymnals in their own languages which uh-huh. so this this just keeps going yep. uh, as mm-hmm. and so now we have you know brothers and sisters across the world who are singing the same hymns that we sing that are native English language hymns 
into their own languages because, you know, we we have our own LCMS translators that work on this now in order to keep this going so that we still have this rich tradition of hymnody across across every language, which is awesome. And I really wish I was talented enough to do that. And I'm really not. (laughs) And it goes both ways, too, that we're, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing in hymns from around the world to add to our repertoire. It's Mm -hmm. that the hymns don't quit. They just keep coming, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. If you have a hymnal companion, you can actually look to see what regions of the world our hymnody comes from. And it's super cool to see what what comes from where. And if you really want to get nerdy, you can start thinking about uh, maybe not in church while you're singing, um, but thinking about the text and the tune and how it all goes together and how tunes from different parts of the world sound different because they're influenced by different cultures. It's, it's, I do that all the time, but anyway. I'm calling shenanigans. You've totally done that in the middle of church. Like I'm just mm-hmm. calling it's true. right now. <laughs> it's true. I have. I'm not fooling anybody. <laughs> so, I have a question. So you talked about how her first her first what was it lira germanica and it was reprinted 20 times mm-hmm. right? 20 editions yeah. yeah 20 editions did she get paid for all this work like did was she was she able to be financially independent with like with all and not even just that that particular edition but like with all of the different work she did was she able to be financially independent you know, nothing that I read actually spoke to that, which now that I think about it is very interesting. I would think so. It doesn't talk about her doing any other work. She started but... out financially independent. Father, silk merchant. I mean, this is a middle class yeah, family. Right. She also, would not yeah. have had to publish for money. These, you know, her father's business went under and I was right. like, I sort of wondered did she actually start contributing to the family's finances? That's a that good point? question. Did she get fairly uh, compensated for her work? That is a really good question. I wonder if Dr. Beaker knows. Probably. need to ask him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we talked in a previous episode about how Argulov on Grumbach, she was not um, even aware that she was being published. That right. This, right. this move to fairly compensate authors is a relatively modern phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it may be that if a publisher bought a work outright, then any profits that came out of that were theirs to keep. And the author, well, you've already been paid. So, you know, it's a it's yeah. it's something that I wouldn't necessarily assume that she uh, was raking in the royalties from her massive bestseller. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard as that is to yeah. to acknowledge. <laughs> Although Argola wasn't trying to be published and Catherine definitely was. So I would hope that there right. is some compensation right. for her work. <laughs> so nearly every English language hymn has several of her translations in some form. And she also influenced translators who came after her, including August Cruel, who was a Lutheran and who compiled uh, the Evangelical Lutheran, or at least helped compile the Evangelical Lutheran hymn book from 1889, 1892, and 1912. And some of you hymn nerds out there might actually have a copy of that one. There might I'm be pretty one on my sure shelf. my husband does. Uh, yes. that is. I think uh, I have at least one, two on my shelf. I didn't actually look yeah. before. But that is the one of the earliest ones. There are 73 of her hymn translations in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book. There are 73 in the Lutheran Hymnal. And there are 51 in the Lutheran Service Book plus... 15 translation models. So translation model is just means that her translation was used as the basis 
for different modifications across hymnals. So it's not completely her work, uh, but it's based off of her work. So, so speaking of, I had to put a, a quote from Dr. Veeker in here because he knows all of these things about hymnody. So speaking about Catherine's significance on our history of English hymns, he said, all told by the waning decades of the 19th century, there are at least 600 additional German hymns available in metrical English translation that had been available at the beginning of the century. Some of these translations were of uneven literary and theological quality, but a great many of them became quite usable for confessional English-speaking Lutherans in America. In fact, one may observe that had Missouri Lutherans tried to produce an English-language hymnal 50 years before the time period of our study, say at the time of the Synod's formation in 1847, there would have been almost no existing English language hymn translations wow. of German hymns from which to choose. So that's oh. that in a nutshell is the is the significance that Catherine Winkworth and some of her contemporaries have on on what we have today in, as our English language hymnals. Like she she has a huge legacy Incredible. in our in our translating work. He also said that an overview of the hymn translations in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book reveals that the 195 known hymn translations, 120 came from translators affiliated with the Anglican tradition, 47 were made by Lutherans, and the remainder of other Protestants and Roman Catholics. In terms of individual contributions, the greatest number of known translations were done by Anglicans Catherine Winkworth, 73, Richard Massey with 21, John Mason Neal with nine, and by American Lutherans, August Krull, 31, and Matthias Loy. She's the only woman in that list, by the way. she rolled them out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, all I I heard as you were saying that was that line from the musical Hamilton, and Hamilton wrote the other 51. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's there's an entire other story, too, about... The collaboration of hymn writers and hymn translators and hymn compilers who actually bring all of this work together right. so that we actually have the hymn books that we have now. Um, that's and that's I can't even get into that now. But there's a whole there's a whole history of, of how that process even happens and how those are edited, uh, you know, throughout the the ages and and new hymns, new co- quote unquote contemporary hymns are brought in. It's I mean. I'm I am amazed that we don't have like a Lutheran service book of ten volumes because of all this hymnody <laughs> we possibly could have in our church. Sounds like a summer project, Sarah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it, there's there's so much amazing church music out there, and so much of it we can read in our own language because of the work of great hymn translators like Catherine Winkworth. So, Sarah, do you have a favorite Catherine Winkworth hymn? Because I do. <sighs> so what's funny is that a lot of my favorite hymns are actually translated by her. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking through the list in my hymnal companion, and it's a long list because, you know, there's 50 of hers plus 15 models. <sighs> no pressure. I think I probably, I, I might have one for every season of the church year. Does that go? No, you get to make one. <laughs> one. Just one. I mean, and what making that, mine, even though you don't know now, what mine is. Like, we're in pe- the season of Pentecost. So what's your, what's your, what's your one for this season? The season we're in now. Oh man. I don't know. 
Well, you contemplate that, Rachel. What's yours? Oh, hands down, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Um, oh, I think that is a she, good one. She that is, that is probably the the German Lutheran hymn that more people uh, adore, even if they don't realize where it came from or who was involved with it. Um, and I love especially. No, I love all the verses, but <laughs> but verse two. Pray, and this is the the old fashioned language here. Praise to the Lord who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth, who as on wings of an eagle uplifteth, uplifteth, sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires all have been granted in what He ordaineth? I mean, that's just magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I sing this hymn, I'm happy to sing all five verses. And don't cheat me of that because. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because each one is kind of better than the last. (laughs) Y'all, I don't know. Just pick one. But I will have to say that All My Heart Again Rejoices. There it is. Is one of my favorites. So so I'll I'll put out that one. So there's also the interesting thing that for a lot of these, she didn't translate. Or we don't use the translations of all of the stanzas. She only has translations for parts of the stanzas. So it depends if, if I need to give you, you know... A translation of a whole hymn or a hymn that has one or two of her <laughs> stanzas because <laughs> there are there are a bunch on this list that i love a lot I love all of them christ yeah. jesus lane death strong bands it's like oh um, she did that she was your favorite stanza too it's true uh let's see from depths of woe i cry to thee uh, soul adorn oh. yourself with gladness i oh, love I that, like one. that one that is one of my favorites uh lord keep yeah. us steadfast in your word she oh, did all of that too. one by the way Oh, that's a classic. Oh, oh, little flock, fear not the foe. I got a kick out of that. She translated that whole one. Good old number 666 in our hymnal. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A favorite of many, uh, 708. Lord, the I love with all my heart. Oh, she did that. Oh, my goodness. Stanzas two and three of that one. Heavy hitting hymns right here. I know. I know. We can't we can't sing that hymn in my family without busting out in tears every time. Right? I know. Uh Jesus Priceless Treasure, that is one of my favorite hymns. Another good one. Oh, what else? Oh Christ, I could only light. Fear and sadness. Now rest beneath night shadow. She only has number five or stanza five attributed to her, but that is my favorite nighttime hymn of all time. Like if Why does have a nighttime hymn? What? what? It doesn't have a favorite nighttime hymn. Christ mighty savior. Abide with me. <laughs> I retract my statement. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, to be in any of your presences. <laughs> what the heck are you guys talking about? <laughs> okay, well that that's those are all the notes I have. Uh I'm I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Not German, not Lutheran, proto-feminist, and yet we thank God really, for her. Oh my yes, goodness! We do. Such a gift to the church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She's an honorary Lutheran. She could be an honorary Lutheran ladies. Amen. We would let her into our Facebook group any day. Any old day. <laughs> any old day. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of this information comes from our our LSB hymnal companion. So if you don't have one yet and you love hymnody or you just like learning about people or just 
like, you know, reading really long books about stuff, uh, go get yourself a hymnal companion. <laughs> they are fantastic. You can spend hours reading this. There's several articles uh, that hopefully I'll remember to link to also about her. And a uh, huge shout out to Dr. Beaker, who gave me a whole bunch of insight into her life and way more information than I ever thought I needed to know about the the translations of all of these English language hymns that made their way into our hymnals. So that, that was a fun ride, y'all. <laughs> I'm so happy uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a favorite hymn translator, I don't know, maybe some of you have a favorite hymn translator, or maybe your favorite Catherine Winkworth hymn. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of you have a favorite. A lot of you have favorite hymns. I know you do. <laughs> Leave those comments in the Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We'd love to hear from you and your stories or you know drop a video of yourself or your kiddos singing a hymn we love videos of kiddos singing hymns it's the best thing ever you can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash lutheran ladies lounge or on your podcasting app i you're listening to the lutheran ladies lounge podcast i'm sarah i'm erin i'm brie and i'm rachel Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. And Caroline, Caroline. My brain is so tired. <laughs> you did great, Sarah. I'm so proud of you.